Hey everybody, it's Mark Thompson, and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. I get the privilege of meeting with and learning from some of the world's highest impact executives, chief executives, inventors, entrepreneurs, leaders of sovereign nations, and not the least of which, a man named Gordon Moore, who was a founder of Intel Corporation and synonymous with putting the silicon in silicon chips, famous for what became known as Moore's Law, which isn't so much a law, but an extraordinary prediction that every two years, the number of transistors in an integrated circuit would double. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. Actually, it's happened a little faster than that. And Gordon himself was a, an extraordinary, approachable man, lived uh, 94 years. And I remember him as the guy who would welcome me into his cubicle at Intel in Santa Clara, California, in Silicon Valley. He'd welcome me there and we'd talk about this adventure that he helped lead, where in the early days of Silicon Valley, the idea of creating something new and innovative has been something that has been a part of the tradition of Silicon Valleys all over the world. Listen to how Gordon Moore talks about this adventure and the impact that he's had on the world and our world of technology. It turned out to be at a time uh, when there was this vision of uh, making very complex circuits on silicon, but not many good ideas of what those circuits ought to be. And the idea of semiconductor memory was something that was kicking around, although economically not viable at the time. So we set off to pursue that, uh, focusing on technologies we thought would be especially appropriate for semiconductor memory and uh, trying to take uh, kind of a new turn in the industry. Uh, we were very lucky. We made a, one very fortunate choice in the technology we pursued. Turned out to be the one that's kind of the, the dominant technology in the industry today. So Intel was able to carve out a pretty nice position initially and we've been able to expand on it. You were as surprised as anyone, or perhaps more surprised, <laughs> about how this notion of a 67% increase in Silicon Gate would become law. Could you talk about that surprise? I was surprised by the accuracy that this wild extrapolation had. The original paper appeared in 1965. At that time, I would have been 26 years old. I'm sorry, I missed that. I was 36 years old, not 26. <laughs> My arithmetic isn't very good. That's okay. You can lie about your age now. <laughs> uh, I was director of R&D at Fairchild Semiconductor. Uh, you got to recognize there were no old technical people in the semiconductor industry. It was a brand new business. But uh, I was running the laboratory at Fairchild, looking at the directions the technology was taking, where we could go. And I could see that uh, eventually the economics of integrated circuits were going to be overwhelming. And uh, this was kind of a new idea, because up until that time, integrated circuits had been expensive, mostly for military applications. Uh, we had low manufacturing yields and a variety of problems. But uh, the trends were clear. And uh, I'd been given the job of uh, predicting uh, for Electronics Magazine, uh, the trends in the electronic component industry over the next 10 years. 
And I use this extrapolation to suggest that the complexity of an integrated circuit might grow from the order of 60 elements to 60,000 elements over that 10-year period. And it, it turned out to be amazingly accurate. I think instead of the 10 doublings that predicted, we only had nine, but that was pretty close. <laughs> uh, I gave an updated prediction in 75 that slowed down the rate. And we've been pretty much on the, the, the doubling every two years since then. The point I was trying to make was that making more complex circuits was going to make electronics cheaper, uh, which it's done far beyond anything I initially imagined. Uh, to the point now where uh, that whole concept has become an important driving force in the industry. Everybody recognizes they have to move at that progress, at that rate of progress. Uh, does it impact this idea that you never get well on the old products? Uh, it certainly, I guess, is a corollary. If you consider one of these recessions as uh, two or three year, uh, years wide, the products you can make at the end of that time are you know, four times as complex or so as the earlier ones for the same price. So clearly you can get a lot more function uh, on a silicon chip for, for the same cost as you were doing the old ones. And hopefully you can get a little bit more money for that. And, uh, that gives you this next generation that you can hopefully get well on. But of course, uh, the other corollary is the dumbest thing you can do in one of these recessions is cut back on your R&D. Uh, if you do that, you eliminate the possibility of coming out the other side. There's a paradox there, isn't it? Is there a matter of greater focus that also has to be taken on here? I think focus is probably the way you handle that problem. When times are good, you tend to start doing too many different things. When times get tight, uh, you can't cut back on the important ones, uh, but you gotta decide which ones are really key at the, the other side of the recession and focus on those. You can't cut everything back uniformly. That's clearly the way to ruin. The one piece of advice I would give is you have to keep your R&D going uh, because the industry never recovers on the old products. It's always a next generation of products. In none of the recessions I can see in the industry has the price recovered or whatever was necessary on the things that were being made at the time the industry went into recession. But the nature of this exponential growth that we've had, and it's not only exponential in how many things we put on a chip, it's exponential in the total number of transistors that the industry builds. And every year we build something like 80% more transistors than we built the year before. It's a phenomenally high compounding rate. Uh, so the applications that consume those have to grow correspondingly. If you think about the next wave of innovation, is there an area that you think is the most exciting? You talk about applications. Is it all about application or? No, the technology is exciting too. I grew up on the technology end of it. And I'm amazed at what we can do now. You know, I've thought several times along the way we were going to come up against something that was pretty much a barrier. And I really expected it to be something we didn't anticipate, that you, know, you could see the problems of making narrow lines. But I thought something else would come along and bite us, limiting how small we could go. And instead of that, we've been able to cut our dimensions in half every five or six years and have done that since the 1960. It's been an amazing deal. It, 
it's violating Murphy's Law the way I look at it. Something should have gone wrong. Does Moore's Law violate Murphy's Law in that well, regard? I think it does, yeah. I, I, in fact, I've often described our industry as exploiting a violation of Murphy's Law. <laughs> Making things smaller, everything gets better. It gets faster, uh, increased system reliability, and it gets cheaper. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.